0: Welcome to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Cast. Well, cool. Thanks so much for being here, and what an honor. Uh, first of all, this is—we're we'll also just—I guess I'll just look at everybody here. And Bill, sorry, you don't matter. Just whatever, I guess it is. That's fine. Um, that's cool. Well, thanks so much for being here, and wow, what an honor. Thank you all. For, what a blessing, and. uh how cool for y'all to be here. Thank you so much. And uh we're blessed to have you all with us and to celebrate your little one with us. Uh so thank you so much. What what a blessing. I hope hope we can be a blessing to you as much as y'all are to us today. So cool. Thanks for being here. Well, um I'm excited to be here and despite the weather, I love being here. So my favorite TV show in the world is something called The Good Place and uh, it's an, on NBC, and uh, one of my top favorite shows ever, and before I continue, I want to say this is your spoiler warning, okay? So if you're, if you're planning on watching The Good Place, or you're a few seasons behind, just this is your spoiler warning, and I'm going to tell you, uh, if you want to leave, I'll give you permission. So just think carefully, whether or not you're a fan of The Good Place or not, I will never give this, probably ever again, permission for you to walk out. Okay? Just, this is your warning, this is your, this is your opportunity. So, you know, if you leave, I'm not going to be offended, just, Rick, okay, just know, I'm never going to give you this chance again. So, <laughs> so uh, for those unfamiliar with the, the, this, the show, it, it, the series focuses on a character named uh, Eleanor shellstrop who is played by kristen bell and she wakes up in the afterlife and is introduced by michael who's played by ted danson and uh she's in what's called the good place and it's a selective heaven-like utopia reserved for you know only the best of the best on earth as a reward for her righteous life Uh, but quickly you realize that she actually wasn't that good of a person on earth and is actually there by mistake so she's got to figure out a way to hide the fact that she isn't really who they think she is, and she's got to also become a better person thanks to the help of her, her soulmate, she's told, uh, Chidi Anagonye, I think I'm, s- something like that, Chidi Anagonye, who is played by William Harper Jackson, and uh, sh- the, he, she also has a couple other friends uh, who are there named Jason and Tahani. So at the end of the first season of The Good Place, uh, um, Eleanor actually realizes that she actually, again, this is spoiler warning, she actually isn't in the good place, but it's actually the bad place. Uh, and the real is, uh, so the bad place, again, is like we can imagine this hell-like netherworld where uh, people are tortured, only in this instance, uh, the, the bad place isn't so much, you know, the, the weeping and gnashing of teeth and burning skin. It's instead uh, this, this, um, this, um, this place that's been created to torture these humans by torturing them emotionally, having these four humans, Michael, or not Michael, uh, Eleanor, Chidi, Jason, Tahani, emotionally torture each other for, for eternity. So uh, being that Michael is an all-powerful, eternal being, at the start of season two, Michael just simply reboots the whole thing and wipes everybody's memory and starts over uh, from the previous attempt. Yet despite the restart, Again and again, uh, whether it's Eleanor or someone else, they figure, out, they figure out the ruse and figure out this is not the good place. This is actually the bad place. Uh, so I don't remember how many restarts. There's something like 800. It's just kind of crazy how many restarts there are. And eventually, Michael's coworker. so there's this, if you can imagine this little neighborhood with all these different people, and all the different people are actually demons. So eventually, and you know, Michael's co-workers, we might say, uh, he was the head demon, they grow weary of these constant reboots and constant refigurations, and they decide, you know, they come to him and say, we're going to blow the whistle on this whole thing, uh, on these constant failures. So Michael realizing, you know, the jig is up, he decides to actually befriend the humans, realizing it's in his best interest to, to get on the sides of the humans and let them in on, on the little secret. Now, What's interesting, in time, he begins to see their point of view and goes from, you know, wanting to torture humans to actually wanting to protect humans. Uh, so season three of The Good Place, again, we're, we're now in season four, if you're a fan. So season three of The Good Place centers on the fact uh, that for the last 500 years or so, again, thinking in Earth time, no humans have actually made it into The Good Place and are actually all in The Bad Place. So uh, after learning about this, Michael and the humans make an appeal to the judge, who's like this, you know, imagine all wise universal judge, uh, in an effort to change the accounting metrics by which good and bad place points are given. So in chapter 38, uh, the title of the episode is called Cheating the Time Knife, a fun little title, Uh, Michael and the humans travel to what's called the IHOP, or the interdimensional hole of pancakes, you have to you have to watch. So it's fun. <laughs> so this this IHOP is actually the the uh, the universal intersection uh, where all time and space dimensions intersect. So Michael chooses to go there because the judge, who he asked to meet him there, and the four humans, her powers are limited, and she can't just immediately you know wipe him out on the spot. So there in the IHOP, Michael and the four humans, they plead their case to the judge. Uh, Basically, you know, the point being something is wrong with the accounting system, you know, the method by which people are judged to be good enough to go into the good place or not. So he begins his appeal by saying, hey, life is complicated. It's impossible for anyone to get enough points to get into the good place. So to illustrate his point, he he kind of pulls up on a screen like this, he shows how an action that conceivably should earn one good points actually does the opposite and earns one's, earn one's bad points. I can't say that. So buying a tomato from the grocery store, for instance, uh, one would think would be a good action that would gain you points for the good place, but actually, the way things are going, it actually loses someone points. So he talks about the reasons they are, because in buying a tomato, you're, a human is unwittingly uh, supporting toxic pesticides, Exploiting labor and contributing to global warming. So heavy things. So Michael says, hey, humans think they're making one choice, he says, but they're actually making dozens of choices they don't even know they're making. Unfortunately, the judge is not impressed. She says, Your big revelation is life is complicated. She says that's a divorced woman throw pillow. Not impressed. She, she counters, you know, if if humans want to avoid the nev- negative consequences, they should just do the research, make better decisions. So at this point, Cheedy, and if you know Cheedy, he's always willing to jump in and give some uh, quote, some philosopher to add to the conversation. He he tries to step in and, and give a a point from Jean Jean Paul Sartre, I think, is what he says. And uh, our friend Jason, if you know Jason, you gotta love Jason. Jason actually interjects says, hey, you know what? I think I can I think can add some. Uh, a good story here, and, 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 you know, the three other humans are like, oh, we're lost, because Jason is, he's special, he's a good guy, but he's not always the brightest, and, but instead, Jason, he comes in, he, he tells a story about his friend Big Noodle from Jacksonville, and I guess Big Noodle was a part of his dance crew in Jacksonville, and Jason tells how Big Noodle was always late to dance practice, because Big Noodle worked three jobs to take care of his four grandparents, who all slept in a bed like Willy Wonka, Uh, if we remember Willy Wonka. Uh, And therefore, Jason was always forgiving of Big Noodle because he understood all the complicated factors in Big Noodle's life. So, you know, Michael and the three other humans pick up and are like, exactly, you can't judge us because you don't know what we're going through, they tell the judge. So so the judge says, okay, fine. So the judge goes to Earth to see for herself. And if you can imagine, you know, she kind of disappears for a moment. And then she jumps back on to the scene and she says, oh, brother, that was rough. Earth is a mess, she says. And she says, and guess what? I guess I'm black, and they do not like black ladies down there. It's terrible everywhere and and always in different ways. So relieved that the judge is starting to see their opinion, Michael says, see, that's the problem. Number one, life is chaotic and messy and unpredictable. And number 2, even if you do manage to make good decisions, you still lose lose points because of the unintended consequences. So Cheedy or Cheedy Eleanor, at this point, jumps in and says, "Yeah, there are booby traps everywhere." She says, like she says like, you know, if there's this chicken sandwich and if you eat it, it means you hate gay people. And it's delicious. So the judge jumps in, and, she's, and the judge says, "It is. It is so good." So, uh, the, what they what they come to terms with is they decide to create another experiment where they bring in four new humans to see if they can replicate the successes of these four other humans. But that is like my favorite episode because it just talks about how life is complicated and whether we mean to or not, our actions and choices have uh, all kinds of unintended consequences. So I will uh, throw myself under the bus here as an example. So I would, I would consider myself someone who supports fair labor practices, uh, LGBT equality, and protecting the environment, right? But I'm also someone, if I can confess, who uh, buys things regularly from Amazon, uh, eats Chick-fil-A, and drives across town regularly. So before you label me as a you know, hypocritical, people-hating, toxic polluter, uh, please give me a moment. I don't do these things because, you know, I'm against living wages or LGBT equality or uh protecting environment. I do so because, A, like, childcare is ungodly expensive. Uh, I feel like, can I get an amen on that? Like, childcare is ungodly expensive. Um, I eat at Chick-fil-A because... I mean, let's be real, like, there's not that many places that have play places. And on days like today, like, you know, it's like when you're home alone with the kids and they're screaming and bouncing off the walls and you've already been to McDonald's play place like three times that week, like, what's, what's left to do? guess it's Chick-fil-A today. And then, you know, Amazon, sometimes taking kids to the store is just like, that's, a, that's like a special bad place to experience all in itself because um, sometimes you take the kids to the store, and you put your son in the grocery cart. I haven't told Karina this story. You put your son in the grocery cart. He, stand, he decides to stand up right at the moment you tell him to sit down, at the same moment, your daughter decides to shove the cart, and he flips out of the cart, lands on the floor, and the middle of King's Troopers starts screaming, and then in the middle of King's Troopers, while you're trying to calm your son, while else is staring at you, uh, and sometimes you just decide, you know what, let's just, let's just buy something on, on Amazon today, because I don't want to deal with that. So life is complicated, as I said, and it's, it's not that, again, I, I mean to be against any of these things, and I, and I do understand that life and our actions have consequences, but, you know, life is complicated, and I, I imagine most of us have been here at some point, recognizing that our actions don't always line up uh, with our values, but, like, unsure how to do things differently. So what can we do? Well, there's this, there's this ancient story that Jesus told that I think might uh, have some relevance for us today. So, Jesus often told these stories that they're called parables. And a parable uh, was like a simple story with a deeper meaning um, that was used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. So, some examples of like, uh, I would think modern day parables today would be like the, the, uh, the ant and the grasshopper. If you watch like the YouTube videos for your kids... They have a little silly song about the ant and the grasshopper the grasshopper like has fun all summer and doesn't pack away food for the winter and then the winter comes and he's cold and hungry you know the ants and the grasshopper it's a modern day parable we probably all know the boy who cried wolf right you know you don't cry wolf because people might not believe you modern day parable so just like these stories so too in the parables of jesus there's always there's often something else going into the story beneath the surface than the, what initially we expect So in Luke chapter 18, uh, Luke is one of the Gospels of, uh, tells the story of Jesus. Jesus tells a couple of parables in chapter 18, and we're going to look at one today, uh, being about a Pharisee and a tax collector. So I think we have it here on the screen uh, for you to follow along with. I'm going to read it here uh, because I like reading from the text. But in Luke chapter 18, we'll start in verse 10. See if I can find it. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee who was standing by himself was praying thus God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all my income. But the person he was referencing, there was another man in the temple that day, a tax collector. And the tax collector, staying far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went home or went down to his home justified rather than the other a Pharisee. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. So again, the gist of the story, two men went to the temple to pray, they're both Jewish people. They're obviously both religious, right? But the, the Pharisee, in this case, would be a person who was publicly recognized for his faith. The Pharisee would, I don't know, be like a, a pastor, some kind of religious leader back in the day, right? Uh, so it's a person publicly recognized for being a person of faith. Now, the tax collector, on the other hand, was about as bad as the opposite of a Pharisee as you can imagine. Uh, they were generally scorned by their neighbors because they worked for the Roman government. And again, Rome was the the occupying empire, the colonizer, in that day. So the Pharisee says, God, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, you know, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and especially this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Remember, uh, in the Bible, in the, in, the, in the Jewish faith, giving a tenth of one's income was a big deal. So the Pharisee is a modern, or modern, he's a model citizen, He's the complete opposite of the tax collector. And maybe you're here today and you're like, nah, I don't like tax guys either. <laughs> Whether, whatever you think about the modern-day IRS or IRS agents, um, I, I think I would dare to say even the most corrupt IRS agent doesn't, it doesn't compare to these ancient tax collectors in Jesus' day. So back in that day, uh, the Romans hired Jewish citizens to collect taxes for the empire from, the, from their fellow citizens. So, so here's the thing tax collectors were given like a standard amount they're supposed to charge. So, like, I was supposed to charge Bill, you know, 10 bucks and Andy 12 bucks and Suzanne 20 bucks. But whatever amount, so um, whatever amount I was supposed to give f- for you to the empire, I could really just come to Suzanne and say, hey, Suzanne, you actually owe me 30 bucks. And then and Andy, you really owe me 20 bucks. A Bill, you owe me. 15 bucks, and I could keep the difference. So obviously, uh, fellow Jews did not like tax collectors because they're rich, and they made their money based off exploiting and uh, cheating other people. So they were obviously universally despised. But here, in what we just read, the, the tax collector seems to recognize his problem, and he begs for mercy. His prayer, rather than one of pride, is is one of humility and remorse. He says, have mercy, have mercy on me, O God. And, and through the years, if you've been in church for any amount of time, or you've grown up in church, or, or have some experience in church, you've probably heard this text, it's like a, this is a story of humility, right? To be humble, to be repentant for God. To, to acknowledge, and, and this text is highlighted as, you know, a humble person willing to acknowledge and confess his faults and beg for forgiveness whereas obviously the Pharisee is someone haughty and prideful, and we shouldn't be like that at all. So at its most basic point, we're taught this is a lesson in humility. We should be humble, acknowledge our mistakes, and seek to do better. Yes, we should all. We should all be humble. But I wonder, like, is that it? Is that all this parable is trying to tell us? I think there's more here. So here's the thing. In that tax collector's plea for mercy, it's like there's got to be something more. Like he can't just plead for mercy, ask for forgiveness, then go about continuing to cheat people out of their money. Like something's got to change, right? And uh, if you know the book of Luke, in the book of Luke there's actually two other tax collectors highlighted Levi, who actually became a disciple of Jesus, and Zacchaeus, if you remember from Sunday school, Zacchaeus was a wee little man who climbed up in a sycamore tree. So Levi was a tax collector, and he decided to follow Jesus, and he threw a big party celebrating his new life. And Zacchaeus, if you remember, uh, Jesus went home with him, and Zacchaeus pledged, I'm going to give back everything I've cheated to people. And I I think he... If I remember right, he he pledged to give back even more, right, to repay the people he had cheated. So if we look deeper below the surface of the story, it seems pretty clear to me at least that Jesus isn't telling a nice story just about being humble. I mean, I I don't think this guy can just go home and continue to be, as a tax collector cheating people out of money. I mean, to me, he needed to make some hard decisions about whether he could participate, continue to participate in a system that cheated other people regularly. And, and again, it's unsaid here in the story, and I, I kind of think that's the point of the parable, that it, it's the reader ultimately has to make that decision. The hearer, the ris- reader, the listener has to say, what is, what is the right conclusion? And to me, it's like that this guy can't, in good faith, just do nothing. Like, something had to change. Maybe it meant quitting his job. Maybe it meant, you know, challenging his, fax, his fellow tax collectors to, um, to do right and collect what was the right amount. Maybe it meant for him only collecting what was fair. I don't, I don't know, but I, I feel like he had to ask himself some hard questions. And I think, you know, if I can, if I can say this, I think we too this morning as humans beings have to ask ourselves, some hard questions sometimes. I think we too can, can need to confess and ask for mercy from God. You know, maybe say, we've, God, I've only been a follower of you in name only. I've been unconcerned with the consequences of my acts. Thank God I've only been concerned about being a Sunday morning Christian. And I think la- like, the, like the tax collector, the un the unspoken question, the unwritten question, is is that enough? And I think we all know that's, that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard question to ask ourselves. It's humbling. Because it might require asking of ourselves some hard questions. It may require us asking forgiveness from God, from our neighbor. And, you know, taking an honest look at the at the systems, the way we participate in systems, structures, practices that, that hurt other people, it's hard. And I, and I think one of the reasons it's hard because these these systems, these structures, these practices, they're constructed in a way to lure us in, to make us dependent on the system, and then basically make, us, make it impossible for us to get out of the system. And, you know, maybe you're like, Lauren, you know, calm down here. You're sounding a little conspiracy theorist, but I mean, Let's be real, like this is basically like consumer marketing practices, right? You know, again, Rome doesn't care. Rome doesn't care what the tax collector does as long as Rome gets its money. And again, maybe you're thinking, Lauren, that's, that's far easier said than done. You know, you're like, man, Lauren, I'm, I'm, I'm barely scraping by. I'm working two jobs just to pay the bills. Like, I would love to buy, you know, locally sourced fair trade organic food to feed my family. But, like, finding the time to cook is, like, impossible. And trust me, I get it. I bought this, like, five-ingredient, like, recipe book because I want to, like, cook more at home. And I'm flicking through this book. I'm like, nope, nope, impossible, nope, not going to happen. So I get it. We've got to still try to exist in the real world, trying to pay our bills, feed our children, just plan a forward life. And I think sometimes the only thing we can do, perhaps, is just to question the system, to ask questions. I mean, why can't there be jobs, enough jobs that pay a living wage? Why can't we figure out affordable health care? Or, yeah, that too. How come we can't figure out affordable child care for, for parents? What's wrong? I mean, what is wrong with LGBT persons having equal treatment under the law? I mean, I, I think about it and like, Jesus asked questions a lot. Like, I think if we read the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, like, it seems like almost as much as Jesus is saying something, he's almost equally as much like asking questions to people. He's asking, like, why are the people that are most in need of God's love being shunned? Why don't the poor get more help for the religious? Why do we have to set limits on God's love? Like, Jesus was all about asking questions. So I think... Asking questions is a great place to start. And, you know, life is complicated. But I think we do need to acknowledge that our our actions have unintended consequences and that that sometimes we fall short of where we want to be. But again, I I don't think we can stay there because I think if we're going to be true to what we believe, if we're really going to be like the tax collector, we've got to start doing differently or at least I think thinking differently. And I think the rum, at least for me, as someone who wants to be true to what I say and believe, is it means it's going to cost it's gonna cost me something. Time, energy, effort. I mean cooking at home, God forbid. But I think the opposite like pretending everything fine, it's kind of absurd, if I can say that. I mean, does really everything seem fine right now? And I know there's, there's people like the, the Pharisee, right? There's people like the Pharisee in our world today who are like, God, God, I thank you that I am not like that struggling family, like that single working mom, like that student trying to pay my bills. They say, I've earned every dollar I've, you know, I've earned every dollar I've worked for, and I've included in my will a portion for charity. God, I thank you that I'm not like that singling mom, struggling to get by, that the family trying to pay their medical bills, like the LGBT person, you know, seeking equal treatment. I'm, I'm better than them. I mean, there's people like that. But I think the question for us today, the question is, what does Jesus ask of us? I, I think that's I think maybe that's the ultimate question that... The parable leaves open, is who do you want to be? Which person do you want to be? Because I'll tell you this much, I think one person that day came home from the temple transformed. And I bet you can guess which one it is. That's the person that I want to be. How about you? Let's pray. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us this week. You can check back for new messages each Tuesday. If you're in the Denver area, come see us this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times, as well as the mission and vision of M.G. Thornton at mgthornton.org. That's M-G-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N dot O-R-G. See you next week.